This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the radio show Limited's RS1. Thank you for joining us. Very shortly we'll hear from Supercar's DSO Craig Baird who caught up with Crowsey on the inside the E-Series production and we'll discuss the options available to supercars for formats in the upcoming 2020-21 season races. But first, the news of the week, and we start with F1. The big news there is the financial situation at the Williams F1 team. Deputy Team Principal Claire Williams says it should be seen as a positive if the team was to be sold, but is it? Our man, Dale Rogers, gives us a history of the team and takes us to the point that they find themselves in now. Dale? Thanks, Tony. Um, to really understand the, uh, the scope of the Williams Formula One issue, you really need to go back in time a little bit. Uh, and that really probably goes back to 2011 uh, when Williams uh, began the process of going public on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange, uh, 20% of the company uh, originally made available. Uh, it utilised shares owned by Sir Frank Williams uh, and also all of Patrick Head's original stake. Another big change came in 2019 when there was a major restructuring of the business uh, by selling the Advanced Engineering Division. Now, the Advanced Engineering Division is one of a number of companies that sits under the group. Uh, in all, there were seven companies uh, involved, uh, of which three of them, the Advanced, Technology, uh, Advanced Engineering Technology Limited and subsidiaries, were sold. So, the, looking at the financials for uh, 2019, um, there was a pretty solid 2018, um, with, uh, but group revenue fell from £176 million to £160 uh, million. And that includes the advanced, advanced engineering business, which of course has been sold. But really the, the, the revenue crash came from the Formula One team. Uh, dropping from 137 million revenue to 95.4, and really operating on that, it's a huge discrepancy, um, and, and that really running a team of this size on that business on that amount of money is, is almost impossible. On top of that comes the fact that uh, uh, the major sponsor of the team, um, uh, Rocket, and uh, the major sponsor, RK Drinks, uh, have also disappeared from the register. Uh, it is showing that uh, still one million is owing for season 19 and nine million owing for 2020. So what it really means is that the, uh, the business as it stands was starting to hemorrhage a little bit. And to refinance that, there's been a substantial amount of uh, inflow of, uh, of income, uh, but it's mainly against loans. Um, the Latifi family has certainly contributed uh, substantially in, a, in form of a loan, um, not unlike, I guess, uh, we saw uh, the Stroll family invest when, uh, when Lance was driving. Uh, it seems that there's, there's been a uh, $20 million uh, has been secured against the group's heritage assets, um, which is a, their Formula One co uh, connect collection. Uh, there's also been another 25 million US received against uh, the group's land, buildings, plant and machinery. So effectively what they're doing is either uh, putting charges against their assets in order to, to pay down loans to the HSBC and also then to have some, uh, some working capital going. So in all in all, a team that is, uh, that is, that is seriously uh, in financial stress. 
And uh, it, it, in the release it said that the options being considered include but are not limited to raising new capital for the business, a divestment of a minority stake in um, Williams Grand Prix or a divestment of a majority stake in Williams Grand Prix, including potential sale of the whole company. Now it's really fascinating, Tony, to look back at just how this has unravelled because if we go back to the days of 2014 when, um, when after a series of fairly failed customer engine deals post the BMW era with Toyota and Cosworth, uh, Williams scored a Mercedes uh, engine contract which served them incredibly well. In 2014 they were third in the Constructors' Championship beating Ferrari. In 2015 they were also third beating Red Bull. In 16 and 17 they were fifth which is still a very solid midfield performance but in 2018 uh, in 10th place and in 2019 again in 10th and last with only one point. So it's a very, very sad state of affairs. Where does the team go from here? It is believed that the team can operate in 2020 uh, with sufficient funding now in place to, to operate the team at a level. It also appeared that in uh, testing in, in Spain that the car had come substantially closer to uh, that back uh, crew and, and, and I think they were seriously targeting uh, Salba and uh, AlphaTauri as realistic goals for the year. So to finally get a reasonable chassis in place after a myriad of uh, CEO changes, Paddy Lowe had been and gone, to finally get a car that appeared to be working, they've got a great engine, we know with the, um, with the Mercedes power plant was disappointing because I think George Russell and Nicholas Latifi would have done uh, a very, very good job had the, uh, the funding been there. The car will compete, there's no question of that. Whether it competes under its current ownership is yet to be uh, known, um, but certainly the, uh, the, the news out of the UK is that uh, they want this wrapped within the next three to four months, uh, which will continue their 2020 program as it, as it evolves in the post-COVID-19 era. And obviously, uh, with the rules effectively frozen for 21, it gives any incoming uh, investor or, in fact, purchaser um, uh, the opportunity to, to plan under the new rules. That the, uh, the, the cost capping and all the things that are coming in Formula One would have been great benefits to Williams. But as Claire Williams said, um, first and foremost is protecting the family interests and, uh, and the staff. Sh surely they, they should protect the family interests. It's their company. It's been in, in operation since the mid-'70s. We mustn't forget that Bernie Eccleston um, probably made Frank Williams and Ron Dennis, particularly even Ken Tyrrell in those days, uh, the, the wealthy people they are because they came along for the ride in that uh, era where, where Bernie got control of the rights. So it's a, it's, it's a sad end. Um, you know, Frank is, is obviously ageing. There's been questions about Claire, uh, I think you know, possibly unfairly, but her management style as well. But I think one of the things that we've seen is, is, is a revolving door of CEOs. We've seen a revolving door of, of technical um, and chief designers, um, people of the calibre of Paddy Lowe, um, lasted more than, not more than 18 months. So not a lot of stability, which we see at the other teams, uh, financially strapped, and a car that's simply, even with, with the best power plant in the field, simply um, their aero and designers just simply could not build the car to, to compete at a level it needs to be. And, of course, with that comes sponsorship trauma. Um, it doesn't matter what end of the grid you're at, you want your car in Formula 1 on the podium and getting results, and unfortunately Williams uh, just haven't been able to do that. So next couple of months will be interesting. We certainly will see the car running under new livery um, when uh, we project to roll out it in, in Austria. Um, 
the drivers obviously will be in place. Uh, two very, very good young drivers too, and I'm sure that uh, both have a future, whether it's with Williams or with other teams. But, uh, yeah, look, some really big news for Williams, and uh, it's, it's really you've got to delve behind the headlines to really understand uh, just where it's at, Tony. So um, let's uh, watch with interest. In other F1 news, the new F1 calendar is racing on consecutive weeks at the Red Bull Ring Austria and at Silverstone. The season kicks off on July 5 with a double weekend of F1 racing in Austria before a third round on the 19th of July in Hungary. Then the 2nd and the 9th of August at Silverstone before Spa and Monza finish off the European rounds on the 6th of September. In supercars, Holden and Triple Eight have sorted out their divorce at the end of the year with the commercial content being kept between the parties. Meanwhile, Renault Academy driver Christian Lungard, Michael Caruso, drifting champ Mad Mike Widdett and Super 2 driver Jordan Boys will all take up wildcard spots on this week's BP All-Star E-Series. Round 9 racing at Michigan International Speedway. That's this week's news. Let's get into the program and hand it over to Krause. You are inside the E-Series with thanks to NTI. And this week we have a very special guest, probably the busiest bloke in all of the E-Series action for the last eight weeks. He's been in the bunker with Nash Morris, calling the shots, calling the penalties and dealing with a bit of controversy as well. It's with great delight we can welcome Craig Baird to NTI inside the E-Series. Welcome, Bairdo. Hey, mate. How are we going? Mate, I'm very well. Thanks for jumping on board. Um, this must just seem like a standard supercar round every week for you. You've got controversy, you've got drama, there's on-track action, there's people complaining. It's pretty stock standard, isn't it? It is. You, you know you've got it right. If half are slinging a bit of muck at you, you've probably got it right. So um, it's a little bit difficult with, uh, with, the, with the E-Series because unlike a supercar round where we've got Hawkeye, we've got stewards, we've got backup, we've got you know, a lot of vision. Um, the bunker, there's not a lot of tools to work with. And, and I guess the biggest difference of it is, is we've probably got 50 incidents every race, mm. opposed to the real world, we might have three or four. So we have time to process it and go through it. So it's a little bit different. But we've got to remember, yeah, we want the guys to take it seriously. But end of the day, it is a game. Um, and we're probably just lucky that we've been able to have a little bit of a gap filler. For sure. Um, just work us through the process for those that might not be aware. So what, what feed are you getting in the bunker up there in Queensland? And what's the process for you working through the incident and then deciding what the penalty is? Yeah, well, it's really difficult for us because I generally just get the, the, the feed that is broad, broadcast feed. And then Nash is sort of involved in the game, looking at the game. So he can go in and out of that. But you miss a lot of things. What people don't understand is we'll get texts and emails the next day complaining of this, that, the next thing. There's 26 to 30 cars out there. Mm. I can only really follow whatever the broadcast feed is. Someone that's following, it might be their son, their brother, they're very close to someone, an engineer, follows their driver on their Twitch feed. So they get to see every incident that happens on that car. And that happens times 30. So you can imagine how many incidents there are during the race that we can't pick up. We just don't have the tools or the ability to be able to do that. But the engineer working with one of the drivers clearly sees something happens on Twitch and straight away 
the texts start going, the emails start going. So it, that, that side of it can be a little bit difficult. Whereas the real world, we don't really miss too much Hawkeye. I've got guys all around me. If they see something that just looks a little bit left field, I get a tap on the shoulder or a little call on the radio. Hey, just have a look at this feed. It might be an incident in pit lane. It might be a mechanic doing something wrong. It might be on track incident. So a very different world. Uh, I, I am really, really confident in the job I do and the team I have around me at a supercar round. Um, to be honest, when I hear Crompton or someone saying, let's fire across the bed in the bunker, um, I panic. <laughs> because it's, I just don't have the tools to be accurate. But you got to remember what we're trying to do. The game, the game penalises people. Yep. I'm not there to really penalise it. They get their, their, they get their, their points for everything they do wrong. Track limits, you know, all these things. But it doesn't pick up the little things like a bump and run, which will change a result. Um, you know, and we've had it. We've we've taken a win off uh, Kostecki. Brody had a great win but he did it with a little bit of a push. Um, Scotty was sort of half on the way, but Brody finished him off. So if it's for a podium style position, we are trying to control it like a supercar race. The rest of the cluster, when Rick Kelly turns his castral car into a helicopter, <laughs> out of my control, mate. Yeah. But it even started at, at round one, didn't it? At Phillip Island had that final corner battle. Jack LeBrock was involved in, the super cheap auto Mustang. So it's been there since day one, but from your point of view, has it been interesting to watch the standards improve? Cause I think uh, uh, from a spectator point of view, the racing has improved tenfold from where we were in week one to where we are now in week eight. Yeah. And, and, and when we go back to, if you, if you actually use that as an example, the Jack LeBrock, uh, deeper squally thing from the very first round, um, I straight away knew it was a penalty. It's a move that I didn't think Anton would put on in real world, but he gave it a go. There was nothing really wrong with it. They both finished. And what I tried to do, I tried to reverse the positions. This is what people don't understand. So I just said, reverse the positions or give them a five-second penalty just to, so as they swap back over. Um, the, the difficult part was we were probably a little bit more professional in some ways than the game because the game – we couldn't just automatically change that around. So the game could do a 30-second penalty. So as they were flicking back to commentary, I guess there was a bit of panic in production side to get the result. So they gave Anton a 30-second penalty. Way too harsh. Was never intended there, but that never really got explained. So... Things are a little bit different. We don't, don't try and align it exactly what we're doing with supercars. And supercars, it's simple. We've got three forms of penalties, really. It's a five-second, a 15, and a, and a drive-through. So small, medium, and large. And to be honest, people will always say, oh, it's inconsistent. It's this, it's that. Half the time, the drivers don't even come to my office anymore because they actually know what they're going to get. Yeah. Uh, they know the system works. There's no use bringing their engineer or their team manager or team owner and coming in and trying to bullshit the system mm. because you go, well, how many angles of this do you want? So the boys are pretty good. They, yeah. they know the system's good. They know I'm pretty fair. And I think the biggest thing, and I always say to them, I'm actually on the driver's side. I'm not, I'm not there looking for a hanging. I'm completely the opposite. If, if, and it's happened to me, it's happened to a lot of drivers in the past. Someone with very little racing experience has made a call and you think, shit, that, that, that's really wrong. 
that the difference we have is our fans are so passionate. They either wear a red hat or a blue hat. Yeah. No matter what I do against a red hat, I'll get shit canned. Yeah, yeah, for it, sure. So you know you got it right if only 50% are complaining. And it's the same with drivers, isn't it? They, they've got such an ardent fan base now that you're either on your team Scott McLaughlin or your team Shane Van Gisbergen. Or in the case of the E-Series, it's been Team SVG versus Team Anton and they've often found themselves on the, the same bit of road. Were you surprised at how seriously some people have taken this E-Series? And does that indicate how important it actually has been for our sport? Because people are so passionate about it. And, and during this time of a global pandemic, everyone was just desperate to have some form of racing. And do you think that that's sort of influenced the way that people have approached this and how passionately, possibly too passionately, some people have taken this particular series? Yeah, in some ways, it's probably a two-pronged answer because I remember the first time I went to race in Singapore at the Grand Prix, um, Shane Van Gisbergen rang me up and he says, hey, if you want to come around, this, and this is going back, you know, I didn't even know what a simulator was. And he rang me up and he says, hey, if you want to learn the track, just call around to my apartment and just spend time on the simulator. Well, he was big into it back then. So, so there's no surprise how good Shane is. Um, and I think Anton and him were probably right on par at the beginning, but now it's whoever's puts the most work in on the lead up to the race, um, gets the result, you know, one will get the pole and one might get a better strategy. So there's nothing in it. Uh, I think there's people mid pack that probably thought, Hey, I was pretty good at Daytona at the, uh, at the arcade. 20 years ago, yeah. uh, very different world. Um, I've been fortunate enough where people have uh, invited me to have a go on their sim. Um, probably a little bit like the celebrity race. I struggled to get out of the pit lane. Mm. Just no feel, no too many grey hairs, no no feel for it, no, no idea. So it's very difficult. And, and there'll be incidents where I go, hey, I won't penalise the guys because what we don't have in a simulator and the part I found, you've got a massive big screen around you, but you don't have that. It sounds funny, but you just have a sense on a racetrack when there's someone just here your peripheral, you just the way your wing mirrors and everything work. A big screen's great, but it's kind of so big, you you, you kind of lose perception of how far, is there overlap, isn't there? So um, some of those things are just good, honest mistakes. And at the end of the day, it's a, it's, it is a game. And I, But I, I suppose the ultimate takeout for me is that when the racing has been good and hard and clean, it's been as good and hard and clean as the real world supercar stuff. You talked about Bathurst final corner aside, that final lap was amazing. And Scotty and Shane last night, for example, amazing final lap battle. They spent half the lap wheel to wheel, didn't bang doors. So the quality has been there though, between the really good guys who are up to speed in the sim and have got that spatial awareness. You need to drive these cars as compared to the real things. And, have you seen the same thing that when it's when it's good, the product is actually very very good. When it's on, it's on. It's it, it's amazing, and I think Nathan Prendergast has done a fantastic job to to decipher what actually goes out as well. Because there's a lot of stuff in the background with guys that probably don't care as much, and they're going through the motions and sort of ticking the box. But with the racing, like the top fifteen. Um, and then if you really narrow it down, and we keep saying it's sort of the Anton and Shane show, uh, and, and, and Scotty, but 
to be fair, if if we look at the you know the the Chaz Moss, this is they're there. Yeah. There's another group of people there. Maybe not quite as consistent. Um, but but if you look at our first round at Phillip Island, going back to the question you asked me a little bit earlier, there was just incident after incident. I nearly pulled my computer out just as I lost. You just can't police something like that. You can't, don't get me to police something you can't police. So um, to answer your question, when we look at last night's race at Phillip Island, there's hardly any incidents. There's just the odd one. Um, and when you look at the incident, it was exactly the same as like the Courtney incident where he got T-boned down at the hairpin. It was exactly the same. And that's how real it is. Fabian sort of got, got himself in a vulnerable position, bumped, got on the grass exactly carbon copy of the Prema Courtney incident. So it's yeah. real. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know you can't have favourites, but outside of those top names that, that we've mentioned, the Van Gisbergens, the, um, the Scotties and the Antons, has anyone else stood out in their approach to this? Have you been impressed with people in how they've not only taken to the driving, but the whole E-Series concept? To be honest... I reckon it's, it's a strange question because I hadn't really thought about it. But if there's one guy that, that, that just looks like he just gets stronger and stronger is Lee Holdsworth. Yeah. If you look at his first round and he looks like he's done work, like he's, he's dragging himself well into that sort of, uh, you know, top six or seven easily. Um, I think guys like Andre Heimgartner have done a good job. If you had to probably single one guy out that hasn't been the fastest, hasn't, I think he may have had one race win. Um, no polls, but like Cam Waters. Yep. Just, he knows what he's got to do. He He's just got to keep putting the, the points into the basket and he's there, you know, like he's, he's there or thereabouts. He knows he can't do it on outright speed in that game, but he's playing the game very well. And the other part, and... I hope he sees this interview because I always sort of go on board with him because he's on the on the ovals, niggle, 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 bump draft, like, but over the top bump draft, and then complains the first time someone bump drafts him a little bit too hard. So he plays it very well. He knows that people get away with a little bit of stuff in the in the in the E series. So he's probably my standout as a as a as an all round package without being those top three or four. Yeah, for sure. What did you think of the oval racing? It was spectacular. Oh, it's great. Yeah was absolutely fantastic. I, I, I said to Nathan, I think it'd be a great idea. And this is Tim Schenken's idea. He goes, you shouldn't tell them what track we're going to because they spend too, the, the good guys spend too much time, find out how they can cheat, fudge the books. They're race drivers. They've got engineers. So I'm very proud of them because they're actually better than the game. If they can work out how to go down transit pit lane faster or do something or cut a corner that doesn't do a ping or whatever it is, they find it. My idea is they if we do this again, Nathan tells them at twenty to six yep. what track it is. At six o'clock they get a fifteen minute practice session and then they go into a qualifying session. So go learn a new track. You have to do a bit of homework because you can't go somewhere that someone like Shane or even Anton's been in Europe, few of the boys have been over there. You're gonna have to go a little bit left field and if you pluck a oval out you'll end up in Calgary in Canada or something that you know only I've been to. Yep. Yeah, I like it. It was terrific racing. Um, last one, mate, before we wrap it up, we're in a great position now in that we've got some certainty moving forward with dates 
of a return to racing. You must be keen to get back to the racetrack and, and do this for real. What's it like from your side of the fence, from a, a driving standards advisor point of view? And, mate, just as a, a fan and someone who loves the sport and has been involved with it his whole life, it must be nice to finally be working our way back into going to do this for real. Yeah, well, it, it's nice. We've got light at the end of the tunnel now. We've got plans moving forward. And, um, look, all the not so much officialdom. Uh, you know, we we go to the race, and I, I'm like you. Whether you're a commentator, you work in racing truck. We are just passionate race fans, and I love motor racing. So, the the, the hard part is really for the for, for the drivers. You know, you'll get a guy that's average on the sim, but he can actually go out there and have a chance of podiums in the real world. It's frustrating for them. And let's not forget the fact some drivers have spent very little and pieced their sim, sims together. Other drivers know what they need and how to package it. So there's all sorts of things. I get people telling me Shane Van Gisbergen's not driving a simulator after someone else did a, did a fudgy, but certainly not the case. But he probably doesn't have a camera because he wants to be able to use every bit of his internet to make sure he's sharp on the, on the sim. I don't know. That yeah. Some people said that the, 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 the more internet you can sort of poke into your simulator, the, the doesn't make your car faster, but it might, might make it a little bit more responsive. Yeah. But anyway, well above my head. But what I can guarantee is Shane and his cat are driving the, <laughs> the simulator. It's amazing that animals have been such a big part of this E-Series from Nelson, the dog we had. Um, Chad Nalon's dog there last night as well. It's been great fun. Mate, can't wait to catch up back at a racetrack. It's going to be great fun doing this for a life. But congratulations to you and to Nash, who's been a great little addition to the crew as well. Yeah, he has been, mate. He's done a great job, a really good job. Yeah, it's been good fun and well done for the way that this has all been policed and supercars have led the way in this whole global e-racing thing over the last couple of months. So it's a testament to everyone behind the scenes, including yourself. Craig Baird, thanks for joining us. Cool, mate. Thanks. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, joining us live in person. Uh, first of all, Richard Crail. How are you, Crowsey? In person, Shabek. Well, I say in person because... Other we weeks know, when I'm we not know, in person. Oh, we know that the the chat with Beardo was. Yeah, we in, we did we knocked yes, that over the other week. Last for, week, uh, exactly. So you're finally on the show today in person. How are no, you? I appreciate that. No, no, very good. Uh, thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, enjoyed chatting to Craig Baird. Um, go back a while with Beardo through Porsche racing in Australia, and he's a really fascinating guy. And I think his approach to the driver standard stuff has been outstanding. And I think that was conveyed in. In that chat, thanks to our mates over at NTI and Truck Assist for NTI's Inside the E-Series. You can catch it on the Race Talk every Thursday morning. Uh, no, is it? Thursday yeah. night. Thursday night. Yeah, know. Thursday yeah. night. Yeah. After each E-Series round. So, um, yeah, I actually miss that little show after the E-Series is finished. It's been good fun. Some great bands. But, cool. uh, no, nice to be here, Shebex. And, um, for the, what, third week in a row, we can actually talk about car racing, like real car racing. I know. It's really, right. it is really good. And we should just mention too, before we move off, uh, Beto, that uh, we're into promoting other podcasts because there's some great ones around. And uh, Greg Rust, Rusty's mm-hmm. Garage, a fantastic interview, a two-parter with uh, Craig Baird. So you can grab that on the podcast one uh, podcast level. And he will be a fan, he'll be a fascinating chat. Yeah, there, there's a story in that that the media have covered off in advance of this uh, podcast coming out from our mate Rusty about um, Craig's uh, involvement's not the right word, but presence when um, Sean Edwards was tragically killed at Queensland Raceway in mm. a, a private test session. And 
I've had that chat with Craig off the record before, and it's pretty full on what the events of that day and, and other people that were there as well. So um, that alone will be worth a listen. And, and it's a pretty raw and open discussion from what I understand. So yeah, really cool. Rusty, while we're flogging other people's podcasts, Rusty's just done a chat Shebex with John Cleland. Oh, wow. Which I reckon could be podcast of the year if, if, Clello's any any kind of form what he used to be when he was interviewed. He's a, a favourite of mine. Crazy Scotsman, British touring car champ. So looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Uh, so if you're in person, that means this bloke is in the third person. Uh, Mark Walker, how are you? <laughs> Baxter, crazy. Um, could you imagine, picture this, that you've been in a coma for the last four months and you wake up today. What do you tell them? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, yeah. The world's changed. Just a smidge. It's, it is crazy, isn't it? I mean, th- this is the year. Do, do you know how you joke every now and then? You go to the pub and after a day at the races and you go, oh, we tell your grandkids about that day. <laughs> well, you tell them about this year, but yeah. they won't believe you. It's, no. it's just insanity. Um, yeah. And, and I, I was trying to work out, boys, the other day, whether March 13th, Friday the 13th, which is when everything for me teed off. It was always looming, but the Friday of the Grand Prix when that event got cancelled and it got real. I'm trying to work out if that feels like it just happened or if it was four years ago. No, no, it feels like four years ago. It feels like a lifetime. Because so much has been fitted into the last two months. And remembering it is only eight weeks, eight or nine weeks. So much has happened in that period. And yet I feel like I've done absolutely bugger all. (laughs) Or at least achieved it. I'm used to gallivanting around the country going to car racing and I've done exactly no gallivanting whatsoever. No, exactly. Yeah, How's your gallivanting been, Mark? Uh, look, I'm, I'm starting to lose it. I'm starting to buy random things off the internet. I bought a Nutribullet. Ooh, uh, nice. then, I, then I looked up Nutribullet recipes and most of them are cocktails, so it's all right. We're sort of, <laughs> it's all right. We're going to get through this. <laughs> I'm working on a beer sponsor, boys. Uh, we've we've got to we've got to do that. I, I got a few messages after our chat last week about bringing back the beer night at yeah. race events. Um, we now, I think, we need a sponsor now to make that financially viable. Could we could we actually could we actually do something in the next couple of weeks before the E series finishes? Could we have a a uh, an on the grid race talk beer night while the E series is on yes. on Zoom? We've got. And we'll give out a link. We've got oh. one more week to go, mate. So, uh, yep. Grand finale next week. Bit of yeah, banter. let's let's get it up. All right, we'll let people know about it uh, before the podcast and on our socials for next week. But the grand finale we will do as a Zoom beer in, which will be uh, oh, nice to have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then and then can we bring out those uh, those <laughs> German those German touring car races again, no. Mark? After that, your beauty. <laughs> uh, There's podcasts in that. We, yeah. we've, we've talked about this. We'll get sued, but let's roll on. <laughs> Let, let's do it. Hey, uh, plenty happening, as you mentioned. There's uh, been races being cancelled all around the world, more so in MotoGP land in the last couple of weeks, Australian in the last week, any Japanese MotoGP, Australian MotoGP cancelled. Uh, but also racing starting up and not too far away now until we get to Sydney Motorsport Park for the first or the second round, I should say, the third round. What is it? It second. is the second round of uh, the supercars season. Been plenty of talk, nothing confirmed yet from supercars about what formats they're looking at running over those period of times. And one can only assume that the second Bathurst race, if I lead off with that, 
won't be an enduro. No, they've been pretty clear about saying that that final round won't be an enduro. They don't, they don't want to have anything that um, in any way clashes with October and the 1000. So it needs to be something completely different. Um, as it was back in the day in the 90s when they used to have a sprint round there, it was a sprint round. It was completely different to the 1000. Yeah. Um, similar levels of drama, Dick Johnson's wing falling off, coat cars crashing at Hill Corner, etc. Um, but it but it stood on its own. It was completely separate. And, and they're smart enough to know that they need to do that. Um, especially if the 12 hour does happen that weekend, it, it will have to fit in and around that anyway. So you wouldn't run a long distance race. Um, so I'm, I'm content with that. Look, I, I think we've had a pretty decent indication of where the format is going to go this week. Um, Supercars trackside on Fox Sports on Monday. Neil Crompton basically said that they're, they're leaning towards a three-race format, at least initially. Um, no fuel, but compulsory tyre change in each race. Um, so given they're the main broadcaster and Supercars Media have got an involvement there, it's probably a reasonable reasonable insight into where they're going with that. Um, so, so three race format, we've seen that before. How you do that over two days, is that enough racing? I'm not sure. Um, and, and that's all stuff we can discuss. But it looks like that's where they're leading to at the moment. Uh, and then how it evolves from there, I don't know. So, I mean, you look at how much racing they can do in a tank of gas, it'd be about 150 k's. Mm. True or false? That'd be about where they're at for a tank. Yeah, yeah so, I... A hundred, one, 120 to 150, depending on the track. So in the pits, they're going to have 11 crew. We've already figured that out. And if they're only doing tyre stops, maybe they could do a two-person tyre stop with one car controller. That only takes three people. Mm. Because that refueling scenario, you need to have a fuelman, you need to have a dead man, you need to have a fireman. So that's half your pit crew gone already there, just looking after that scenario. So I think that makes sense if they've, 350k races that's still plenty uh plenty of racing for a weekend i reckon 450k's mm. sounds about right to me yeah they'd, they'd be just under an hour a piece i would have thought those races that the 200k races tend to be what an hour and 30 odd yeah. hour and 20 so yeah and on, and on some of the tracks around australia that's equivalent to 60 laps 65 laps on those smaller yeah. 2k tracks yeah it's it's plenty of racing for sure um the, the thing for mine, a tyre change is fine, but it, will it have a meaningful outcome on, in changing the race? Is there enough strategy variation in just throwing tyres on just because you want to have a compulsory stop? So will there be enough tyre degradation to warrant someone getting an overcut or an undercut so you still get that strategy? That's what they're trying to do is keep some strategic roles in this so you can do that undercut or overcut and get some variation. My concern is that maybe there won't be enough of that with a tyre-only pit stop when the fuel but, plays a role in these races. But does it matter in the regular races anyway when they put these tyre compulsory tyre stipulations in the rules? I mean, obviously, with fuel drop, that makes sense because or else the car's not going to make it to the finish. And it sort of stems back from an equalisation point when you had the uh, very thirsty Nissans and Mercedes and whatnot out there. Uh, so I guess these days it's a complete moot point. Mm. Um, yeah. Could they have? Could they have a? Could they have a two tire stop per race where you can either take two or four tires? Sorry, uh, let me rephrase that. Yeah. You've got to take a minimum of four tires per race, and you can do that in either one stop or two. 
Well, you you could. No, you'd make you it a you'd make two, it two two tires, and if you want to take on four, hmm. that's going to cost you the extra five ten seconds, whatever okay. it takes. Yeah, but then yeah. you get the advantage that way. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't do an extra pit stop because that would kill your race, especially if it's only a yeah. a one stop race. Yeah, I I just I hope there's still some variation in in what they're doing, and they haven't announced formats officially yet, so we're all we're spitballing here. But um, off tires, do, do we? Do we, the reverse grid topic has been hotly discussed over the last eight weeks in E-Series and it's caused some massive shunts. I, there's no way they're going to do a full reverse grid, but do we think they roll the dice and do top 10 reverse, maybe race two, and then race three is a points from race one and two? So if you finish first and eighth, let's say, with the reverse, you're going to get points for third or fourth on the grid for that finale and still have a shot at getting most points for the weekend. Do we think they do that? Personally, I want to see that. I, there's got to be some incentive to mix things up in this format. I, I haven't got an issue with reverse grid, apart from the fact that it does reward mediocrity. But so that's what I'm saying. Don't reverse the full field. No, but even if you're 10th, you're still not first. You might be 10th, and, and in some cases, 10th could finish 40 seconds off first, at the end of a race, why mm. should you get the advantage of pole? But this is because the problem with motorsport. Up. This is the problem with motorsport is that we always start the best guy at the front with an advantage. Yeah. So of course they're going to win. You're yeah. always going to get the same results. Yeah. So that's the reason why you have a pill draw, for instance, because you're going yeah. to have a, a situation where you're going to have guys foxing to try and finish in last, like we've seen in the E series, so they can score pole mm. for that reverse grid race. But if they have a, a pill draw, so it's between 6th and 14th 12th. or what, yep. whatever you think about, you know, whatever it's going to be, uh, you know, are, are we going to have enough qualifying sessions? Are we going to have three qualifying sessions to match up with the three races? Mm. How are we going to fill out all that TV time over two days if at Sydney Motorsport Park and Townsville we don't have any support categories? How, mm. how are we going to add out the days that, that way? Yeah, I agree. Um, I wouldn't want to see a, a pill draw go any further back than 10th in a 24 car field i see i love that it's like that's like a barrier draw for the melbourne cup yeah you could get My, a sponsor you could get a sponsor to come out for each team and he takes the number you know uh shane van gisbergen yeah you could make good TV. position like number the, seven it'd be great like the peter jackson dash back in the day be fantastic minus grid girls in this day and age just for race two just for one of the races my only concern boys is that it, it's never been more important to give as many opportunities to as many teams as possible to get some front running airtime. Now you don't want to do it where it's, we're going to gift you a race win. So that that's why I wouldn't want to see a full reverse grid field as, as much as carnage as it would be. We don't want to see carnage either because no one can afford to break these things now. But in the current situation commercially, it, we have to give opportunities to people to run at the front but still reward those who are faster. So it's, it's finding that balancing act. So maybe it's a, a top eight pill draw. So if you're Scott McLaughlin and you win race one, you might draw first place anyway, and that's just the luck of the draw. But if you're Bryce Forward and you finish eighth then you put a WAU car in the front row, you can go to your sponsors and go, have a look at this. We, we still finish in the top 10 in race one, but we're on pole for race two. We might lead some laps. Scotty may come through and win. Jamie may come through and win anyway, but it still gives that motivation to get at the front and just keep as many people happy as we possibly can in what's a really uncertain time commercially in the sport. So 
with the pill draw, what I sort of meant was with that was have a bit of a random invert. So it'll be somewhere between yeah. 6th and 12th that you reverse. It's not yeah. necessarily pulling your starting spot out of a hat because that could be a complete bugger up because it might be McLaughlin pulls pole and Van Gisbergen pulls 12th. I mean, that's not fair. But if yeah. everyone was turned around uh, first to 12th or first to 8th or whatever, I think that might well, be the- fair. They do that. They they pull a draw to see how many cars are reversed exactly. in their reverse grid race. Yeah. So another thing is, uh, I I don't personally love shootouts outside of Bathurst. Mm. I love it at Bathurst. I think that's great, and it should stay there. Elsewhere, I'm not that big a fan of it. But if you did a full field shootout, that'd pad out what 45, 50 yeah. minutes an hour yep. uh, of TV time. Everyone gets a crap on the TV. Yeah. Uh, and plus, you're only using up a, a lap of the cars. Yeah. You're not there bashing around for 20 minutes like you would be otherwise. So, essentially, you're saving money, you're giving everyone a bit of air time, and you're padding out your TV product. Yep. So, a, f- a full 24 car uh, shootout? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. No, that's great. Well, and, and, that, and that provides some... Um, some potential for variations because, I mean, we see shootouts at the Adelaide 500 where someone good barrels into the centre chicane, curb hops, and they're done. So, you know, at Sydney Motorsport Park, you could make an error and drop time on your one crucial lap to qualify. Yeah, that's not a bad idea at all. And, and, I mean, we've seen it before back in the days at Canberra. I believe they used to run a full-field yeah. shootout. And we used to see shootouts at every round. It was the, the Saturday yeah. action was qualifying in a shootout for a 300k race on Sunday. That was about 2003 was the typical sort of scenario there. And you used to see people bugger up their shootout lap. So, yeah. you know, the, the pressure was always on and, you know, the cream's still going to rise to the top. Those good guys are still going to be quick, but uh, uh, it adds in an extra layer of complexity there that might shuffle up the field a bit. Yeah. So what about the uh, concept that F1 are trying to get over the line in regards to the uh, reverse qualifying grid from, well, from what they're trying to do? Yeah, well, the, the difference with supercars and F1, Shebex, is that if you're Mercedes in F1 and you start 20th, you're going to win anyway because you're clearly the fastest car. Yeah. Um, so that's the difference. I'm frustrated that allegedly Mercedes is trying to block that and not let it go through because if any sport in the world needs to innovate, it's F1 because it's, it, it's on the nice edge of yeah. not being a thing anymore. So they, they need to be really innovative and, and get these teams on board to at least try something different so it's a different scenario to supercars where the field spread is so much broader than it is in um than it is in supercar racing so yeah i I don't i don't think that's strictly relevant to supercars here um i i would like to see a reverse grid quality race in f1 i think that would be fantastic as long as it doesn't take away from the feature of being a yeah. main Grand Prix. It's definitely a preliminary, but why not? Like, mix it up. And and this is what... I wrote a column on Monday on the Race Talk that about the Tassie doubleheader for the ARG events going down there to Simmons and Basketball, which I think is a genius idea. And the fact that it's something different. And, and that was probably what's frustrated me the most in the last couple of weeks is that here, at least initially, there hasn't been a willingness to go real left field and try something different when the opportunity presents itself to do so and really mix things up and at least have a crack because what better excuse to have a crack at doing something different than a global pandemic that's completely reshaping the way we go about life. Um, And I realize there's all these commercial 
considerations, there's venue hire considerations, there's governmental considerations, given there's an agreement with almost every state government with supercars. But I just hope that they do something different. NASCAR is the ultimate example of this. And as perilous as they are going back to racing this early, rolling out, sending the cars racing, the product has, I think, improved. And, and it's no practice, no qualifying, just send them and go. Now, that might not work quite so specifically here. But they've rolled the dice and they've done something different. And it's what Liberty's trying to do with F1 as well with this reverse grid race. So I just hope there's an element of that that comes into our thinking here with our local championships. And that this is a chance to do something different and at least try um, and have a go. And, and look, one example, and it was ultimately unsuccessful, but I'll cite it anyway, was Formula 4 in yep. Australia. When it was dying, and, and it was dying for the last two years of its four-year lifespan, um, they compressed and did two rounds on the same weekend. So they did practice and qualifying on a Friday. They'd run three races, which was, say, round one on Saturday, and then yep. three races, which was round, one, round two on Sunday. Save the teams a heap of money. Um, they'd only have to go to the one racetrack. They do six races in a weekend. Bam, 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 away they go. Now, that won't work for supercars, obviously, but it was something different. It was innovative, and it showed that it could be done. And I hope that attitude can continue over. And can we just say too that it wasn't the uh, involvement of the commentator that <laughs> sent wasn't F4 it? to death? Well, it's I hope never not. been conclusively proved, Shabex. <laughs> how, how hard was six races on a commentator though? Uh, yeah, no, it was hard. Oh, man up. No, it wasn't. They were only, they were only, <laughs> they were only 20 minute races. Man, it was fine. Can we call a 12 hour race and see how you go, buddy? I was just going to say. Uh, NASCAR racing again probably isn't the only issue that America faces at this point in time. No, it's not. They might have bigger deals. No, no. But you could argue that it's pretty risky to be back racing. <laughs> I, I agree with you. When they're broadly out of control in maintaining this thing. At least we've, you know, there was a massive outcry in South Australia last week because we had our first new case of single yeah. one in two weeks. Yeah, I know. Um, I did hear that. Now, uh, Pertec Endurance Cup probably won't happen as we have lost the Gold Coast event. Will the bend be an enduro? It's a, a fairly big stipulation from management there that that's what they want. Yeah, it is. And they're in a unique situation where they're paying cash money to supercars. So that's a, an outside promoter, not promoted by supercars. Yeah. I think they'll still run an enduro there. You still need to keep some form of enduro cup. Maybe it just goes back, Mark, to being the Bathurst warm-up and Bathurst. And I mean, the thing is that mm. all this calendar, it's still fluid. Nothing's yeah. locked in. Nobody knows what's going to happen. We mentioned it last week. But that, that's because I don't think they know, Mark. No, nobody knows. Yeah. We, nobody knows at all. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as far as I'm aware, the, the teams are still going to have to be ready to roll out for Wednesday races sometime later in the year if, if things yeah. wind up being compressed again. I mean, nothing's certain at the moment. I mean, Victoria hasn't quite nipped in the bud. I mean, 10 new cases for the day, it's not a dot on what's happening elsewhere in the world, but you'd still prefer it to be zero. Yeah. And up here in Queensland, I think most of our new cases are clerical errors rather than an outbreak of anything. But, uh, yeah. you know, that you look around and the shops are full and pubs are starting to open up again and people are stopped, stopped caring about their whole social distancing thing. So, it's not going to take much for the whole thing to flare up again. So mm. while it's lovely to have all these calendars bedded away and all these hopes and dreams that we're going racing again, you know, until it happens, uh, until the season's completed, I, I really won't believe it. 
Say it till you believe it. Rosie, mm. you got some uh, responses from our listeners on social media about some of their thoughts. Well, what were some of the better ones there? Uh, yeah, we had. We jumped, so we asked a question on at the Race Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, and the general feedback was interesting. Martin Taylor said, small tracks like Simmons, less laps, more races, no pit stops. Put it back in the driver's hands. Maybe only one qualifying session. Um, uh, Thomas Jarrett said two races each day, race one starting off qualifying results, the second race of each day reverse grid. That's not going to happen. It's, it's an interesting thing. Um, Phil Saunders said rolling starts at some rounds. Don't know if that would change the way they go racing too much. Um, turn, bring back yeah, the action zone. Bring back the action zone. Yeah, that could be, um, that could be thing. A lot, interestingly, a lot of comments were reverse grids, which was interesting. Uh, Danny Sims said pill draw plus inversion. Um, also said pole shuffle. So if you've watched sprint car racing, they do a pole shuffle. Where they basically race in an elimination style to go and grab um, grab pole position. So that could be an interesting little concept, perhaps. Can we have um, a run to the car? <laughs> Le Mans style. Yeah, Le Mans, out of the pits. Completely and utterly dangerous. Um, Victor McLaughlin said, I think the current formats were okay. I don't disagree with that, actually. Um, just need it so faster cars are actually able to make passes on track and not get stuck in aero wash. And that's actually a very insightful comment because that's exactly the problem is that it's so hard to pass. Um, Shane Eastwick said, I don't think we should change things so much. Do we have a lot of comments? This is great. Um, the last thing we need is gimmick racing. I agree with that as well. Um, yeah, there's finding a balance of keeping the, the pure sporting aspect of this and making sure that we keep it a show. Um, a few small tweaks like reverse top six or quali races would be all I'd like to see. I think we've pretty much said that at the start of the show. Uh, either someone said um, finish up the E series qualifying and then the first race should be how they finish that. Do it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. So Rick Kelly would start 100 feet above the racetrack, <laughs> upside down and pirouetting. <laughs> But at least you'll be comfortable because he's already in a bed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good point. Uh, and Motorsport Matty, who's an avid listener and viewer, said new pit stop rule to solve the social distancing problem. Driver has to get out and refill his own car and change all the tyres himself. Yes, I like that. <laughs> and and he has to use the 7-Eleven tyre pressure gauge where you've got to push the button to get it up to your number. <laughs> New sponsorship deal there, you think, Shebex? Yeah, no BP's, doubt. It would probably be BP, wouldn't it? Oh, it would be, yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, guys, before we head off, and there's some great ideas, and thanks for everyone who participated in those thoughts. Uh, Triple Eight and Holden have reached a settlement or an agreement in regards to uh, terminating that uh, sponsorship at the end of this racing season. It'll be interesting to see uh, what the commercially confidence numbers were, but something would have passed hands for sure, wouldn't they, Mark? Oh, they'd have to. Um, yeah, I mean, Roland's not going to just roll over and let them get away with it. I mean, it's a problem that Holden's got everywhere at the moment. They've got with their dealer network because a lot of their dealers had long-term deals in place and just uh, lashed out millions and millions of dollars to do up uh, dealerships and showrooms and whatnot around the country and suddenly they don't have a product to sell anymore. And, I mean, they're, they're almost out of Holden's to ship anyway, like down to the last couple thousand cars. And they're at a discounted price, so they'll all be gone in the next month or so. So they'll be carrying around their Holden signage until February next year, but uh, all they'll really be selling is used parts. Yeah, I, it, the, the reporting on this has been clunky as well because some people saying, oh, 
Holden's swan song in supercars will be at, at Bathurst, which is technically accurate, but um, the Commodore will still run as a product in supercars for at least 2021. Yeah. And then pending what happens with Gen 3 down the road, um, that will move on to something else, whatever it is. Um, looking less likely it's going to be Camaro now, given they're not going to sell that in Australia anymore. Um, yeah, it's an interesting situation. So we could have a non-GM product running at some point um, with without any GM product running at all for the first time in the probably 60-year history of the championship. On Triple Eight, did you see, of course you did, you were in it, Richard, the Triple uh, Eight Bathurst 12-hour video series that they put together. That yeah. was brilliant. That yeah. was really good. On the uh, on the 2019 12-hour, um, yeah, I, I had a conversation with them about that and sent them a note to say, hey, this was unexpected and it was shot by Red Bull um, and it never got released. It sort of just got put on the back burner and... And they got in touch with Red Bull and said, hey, we're in a global pandemic. Do you reckon we can show this to give our fans some content? And they went, yeah, that's a great idea. Um, yeah, it's terrific. If you haven't seen it, um, jump on to the Triple Eight Race Engineering, not Red Bull Holden Racing Team, Triple Eight Race Engineering Facebook page. Um, it's shared via the 12-hour social links as well. Um, to 15 minutes in total, behind-the-scenes look at their really challenging 2019 12 hour it's warts and all gives you the full story of how they battled with that car um and it was a it was a real dog that miracle weekend they tuned it up as the race went on and just missed a podium yeah i i gotta tell you i i got goosebumps watching that i it's really cool to for that they use so much of our work behind the scenes in calling that race mm. and my colleague john hindoff and our pit reporting team as well um that was it's it's really cool to be in it i i'm yeah, it was that was meant really cool. So yeah, grab a look; it's worth it. More warts and all. The Erebus Inside Line is yeah. now on YouTube, and the wrap up show as well. Mm. And I, I had a bit of a binge on that, and yeah, that's wild. That's I very wild. That's the, the polar opposite of uh, <laughs> the Triple H <laughs> yeah. side of thing. I yeah. mean, in the wrap up show, Barry's out there and like, well, oh, we're happy. That's us. This is how we roll. Yeah. And, oh. Yeah. For me, it's uncomfortable. I've been in team land a bit, a few different teams and watched all of this, uh, you know, over the years. And I've never experienced anything like that. I mean, I could not imagine working there. It was a drive to survive. No. But just no, the, the culture there just, it frightens me that that's the, I've had people from overseas watching it going, oh, wow, we're watching this. It's pretty wild, isn't it? It is wild. And I, I think it, it just proof that, if it works, it works. And if you don't like it, get out. But for the people there, I mean, like this, this team that's won Bathurst and they're right in there as a, um, as a contender week in, week out. So clearly whatever they're doing is working for them. I, I would just imagine that it's a, it's an acquired taste and those people that don't gel with that environment, which sort of probably sums up the whole shooting match from when, from when Betty first came into the sport, I would imagine. Um, then they get out. Yeah, it's it, it's it's pretty pretty yeah, revealing about that environment. It's sort of Barry's show. This is how we're doing it. This is mm. uh, Barry's way of doing it. But you look at the Penske's of the world, the Triple H's of the world, the guys who do beat Barry's show, mm. and it's not like that at all. Like there's none of that sweary bully sort of culture that's there. I mean, they like that. That's what works for them. But mm. the teams who beat them, yeah, it's completely different. Yeah. 
I wanted to put an analogy in at that point in time, but then I thought then I've got to edit the show and probably take it out so I won't touch it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, boys, thank you so much. <laughs> That's one of your wiser decisions, Shabax. <laughs> Not known for you. No. Uh, how you. How are you feeling, by the way? Because we understand you're a bit sick on the weekend. Uh, yes, I was a little bit uh, ill. We, uh, For those people that don't know who might be listening to us via the RS1 station on uh, Radio Show Limited, we've uh, gone back to a little bit of normality here in Australia with uh, us being allowed to go visit people for the first time in nine weeks. So it was dinner at a friend's house on Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. And uh, my friend decided to pull out a bottle of Japanese whiskey that was 50% alcohol and i reckon that mixed with the <laughs> was with the alcohol <laughs> well i reckon that with the alcohol content in the hand sanitizer i reckon oh, set me right. over the top. not that i was <laughs> drinking that but i think just the, it soaked into my skin and the, uh, actually, I, on that i got some of the, the ned hand sanitizer i thought i'd do the right thing and yeah. i'd support the team sponsor and well done. it was actually a pretty cheap thing what they were selling uh i've got a little pot of it here in my car except it does smell like whiskey. So <laughs> it got pulled over. Oh, it's a sanitizer. Well, so. The police have started random breath testing again after pulling that for a couple of months during COVID. So you'll need to be careful. No, no, officer, honestly, it's it's my hand sanitizer. Hand sanitizer. Shebex, uh, I tell you what. I must, we must sanitizer. say, though, I did, I did not drive. So no. No, uh, which is why we needless to say, the Uber driver wasn't too happy with me. <laughs> Your hand sanitizer excuse is just as bad as my food poisoning excuse in Darwin a couple of years ago. Yeah, no, that was shocking. You were, you were smashed. <laughs> I was ill. You Physically were ill. Ill. <laughs> it was the bad anyway, fish and chips. As my uh, eldest son said to me, it's good to have a clean out every now and then, Dad. And <laughs> oh, absolutely spot on. Uh, talk to you soon. Thanks, boys. Thanks, guys. Thank you for joining us. We'll catch you again right here on The Grid.